This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Ullman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Emma Chandler speaks with Natasha Dyer, Senior Recycling Program Coordinator for the City of Atlanta. So the Mayor's Office of Resilience works to make Atlanta better prepared for the physical, social, and economic challenges that are a growing part of the 21st century. For the City of Atlanta, working to be more resilient entails preparing Atlanta residents, communities, institutions, businesses, and systems to survive, adapt, and thrive, no matter what kinds of chronic stresses and acute shocks they experience. Thank you so much for joining us, Natasha. Um, My name is Emma Chandler. I am a student at the Bard MBA in Sustainability Program. And one of the things we talk about a lot in this program is that in order to drive widespread change, Um, and impact on sustainability issues, we need to be engaging people at every level. So everyday citizens and young leaders, as well as businesses. Um, So I'm really looking forward to hearing about the exciting partnerships and initiatives you're spearheading um, for the Mayor's Office of Resilience. Just dive right in with our first question. Um, Could you give us a bit of an overview of the Mayor's Office of Resilience and the work that's happening there? Sure, so um, I can take you uh, uh, back to the inception of the office really. And um, it was actually the Mayor's Office of Sustainability that was founded in 2008 under the city's last administration uh, to focus on the Better Building Challenge. And that was an initiative to make commercial buildings 20% more energy and water efficient by 2020. And then by 2012, um, our current leader then actually expanded and included recycling and electric vehicles and urban ag. And so then by 2017, we applied to be part of the Rockefeller uh, Foundation's 100 Resilient Cities Network. And um, after reviewing uh, applications from a thousand prospective cities, Atlanta became the the very last 100th city of that network. And so we're still a team that just focuses on um, energy and water conservation, um, recycling, and then we have an urban ag and composting um, um, arm arm as well. And we also have people working on electric vehicles in our office. And now in this current administration under Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, we've actually been uh, housed into her signature one Atlanta office that focuses on equity um, uh, matters too. So a lot of our work is being funneled through an equity lens, which is very important when we start to look at um, being a more resilient city anyway. Wonderful. So in your role as Senior Recycling Coordinator, you focus on creating municipal programs that increase food waste and food diversion from landfill as part of the city's climate action and food access plans. Can you share more with us about these initiatives and kind of give an overview of what your day-to-day work entails? Sure. This is probably gonna be a very long and detailed answer because it requires me to actually give you quite a bit of history around the work we're doing um, and around food in our office. And um, 
So as you mentioned, the work is um, in our office is done around um, the city's fresh food access plan. That's what governs how we move in the office around food. And basically in 2010, the USDA did a food access study around the nation really that highlighted and brought to the forefront the problem of food deserts around the nation. Um, in Atlanta, we learned that 52% of our residents were living in areas um, that we also call low income, low access um, areas. And it means that they weren't living within half a mile of fresh, affordable food. So that's half of our population. And um, the city knew it needed to do something about that pretty quickly. And so um, because we have a, a, a pretty robust culture of urban ag in the city, um, that was the first challenge, they thought that would be the first solution that was the overarching solution. And so um, um, in 2010, the city hired their first urban ag director with the real purpose of kind of limiting barriers like permitting and zoning that was hindering uh, people actually growing food where, where it was needed most like in their neighborhoods and, and selling it right there in their neighborhoods. Cause there are a lot of, uh, you know, I guess urban zoning, um, regulations that you know you can't just grow food and sell it right there you, you've got it's got to be some kind of farming or or got to be to market scale but this was actually they hired an urban ag director so they could they could start breaking down some of these barriers and so um uh, the goal was to get 75 percent of atlanta's residents living within half a mile of fresh food by 2020 and um with that goal nearly met in 2019 the current administration has boosted that to 85 percent now so that's really just um us not just getting um, what people were getting in like corner stores like that token banana or apple, it was actually just trying to get them closer to like meat and dairy. And so um, that's that's how our work is governed in the office and that's the urban ag side. But because we were one of the 100 resilient uh, cities, like so meanwhile, while all this work is, is happening, in 2018, we were awarded with a grant by the Rockefeller Foundation to um, begin to map the city's uh, wasted food by sector. And um, the real goal of working with NRDC or, or how they present this work is to inform cities on how to increase um, the recovery of edible food so that we could actually be begin to feed more of our food insecure populations. So for me, this was like a complete paradigm shift in my head because even though the, um, the hierarchy for recycling is always reduce, reuse and recycle, there's a way that when you work on unrecycling for, for years, you're just kind of, when it comes to food, you're just thinking composting. Let's, let's, there's food waste, just throw composting at it. There's a way that for years that we weren't really looking at the hierarchy so much, but doing this work with NRDC was going to mandate that we start looking at like the reduction and the recovery, which is a reuse to actually feed people. So, I mean, that was, like I said, it just, it just shifted so much. And so now my work is, is mostly focused on recovering food to feed people and it's it's so rewarding right and so um what we learned in those um after working with NRDC to map that food waste was that the city was sending 125,000 tons of food to landfill every year and as you begin to do this work too you start to know um facts like 40 percent of all food being disposed of is actually edible <laughs> and so this begins to make you look at the possibilities and um, this is really important, of course, because um, one in five Georgians is hungry. And um, that's not just like the homeless population, that those are your neighbors, those are senior citizens, children, people just in between work, people living in homes. And um, so this, just with this new model um, and be, being given this um, uh, chance to work with the NRDC and, and 
kind of, I guess, taking a pledge to begin to work on recovering food, um, uh, we began going down the path of uh, starting to create programs that increase food access for our neighbors by saving food from places like restaurants and grocery stores. And now I'm very happy to say that food recovery is now part of the food access plan. Whereas when the city was going down this path and I guess, what was that 2015? After, yeah, 2015 of starting to begin to increase food access by growing more food. It, it was just that it was, let's grow more food. But um, when you when you go down this path, like I said, um, I've, like I've, I've, my eyes have only been open to the actual stark numbers of food waste just in these last few years, even though I've been around it for so long, but it's like, you start to know things that like, we're wasting so much food that if we started to corral and save all the food being wasted and not only Atlanta, but really the world, it's because the numbers tend to be universal, is that we could feed every hungry person four times. That's how much food is being wasted. And so it's just my my greatest pleasure now to see that food, food or wasted food, we should say, and recovered recovered food is now being added to the uh, to the to the food access plan. Wow, that is those were some really striking statistics you shared, but I'm so glad to hear that that transitioned because to the food recovery is that that was incorporated. Um, there's so much connected with the waste part of it and to be able to um, reuse before you um, reduce it's amazing. I would love to hear more about how you got to where you are. Um, and so if you could share about your professional journey and how did it lead you to the work you're doing with the city of Atlanta? Yeah, that's always, I, I think it's always a fun question because it's not, it's not as obvious. I'm actually, I used to be a production fashion designer. I started in the garment manufacturing uh, industry years ago. I went to school, I went to um, fashion school. I, I became what's called a technical designer. And I worked in the garment industry for probably 13 years where I was, uh, I guess that, that designer that takes, takes concept and gets it produced. <laughs> so you have your concept designers and I was that person that actually, uh, made it technical and worked with pattern makers and sewers. And, and so um, in 2008, there, when the housing crash happened, there was a way that it affected all kinds of industries. And I think mine, mine obviously was not, um, not saved from that. So I started losing my job like every five months, every seven months. And I was like, you know, this is just not the way anymore. Like what else, what else am I interested in? And I always knew that um, I had a real, uh, a real concern about climate change. And I just didn't know what that was going to look like, but I knew I was going back to school and I was going to figure out something to do about climate change, like to, but to be kind of the real elbow grease and um, try to help create systems for society to work on climate change. Because so what that, so just telling you what I did, that means I was, I'm a, I'm a graphics designer. I'm a, I'm a designer of sorts, you know? And so um, I knew I didn't want to do pretty pictures or like, you know, help with websites or that type of thing. I knew I wanted to become something that was more of like, like I said, elbow grease and trying to kind of move, move systems and move societies towards being better, better stewards of the environment. And so um, at one of my jobs, um, the, uh, one of my coworkers told me about a career fair that was happening and it, it was literally in my neighborhood and, um, and it was for green jobs. And um, um, I actually, I actually, had always thought I was probably going to go into like green buildings, like lead or something like that. But after I left this, um, this fair, 
um, there was a free um, program that I could attend, like Pres uh, President Barack Obama was uh, created this, I guess, um, um, how do you say, like a, a, a scholarship program of sorts if, if, if for people returning, uh, if anyone wanted to return into the and get a job in the green economy, you could go to school for free. So I was like, well, let me just try this and let me look into it. And it was recycling. It was a recycling certificate. So I was like, yeah, let's let's just go see what's up, even though like I thought I was going to go into green buildings. <laughs> but um, so I took this program, um, a certificate program, and it was by the third class that um, I learned that organic waste ending up in the landfill um, because of the way it uh, decomposes or um, in the absence of oxygen is creating quite a bit of methane. It's one of the, I think it's the third, the third most man-made cause of methane emissions is organic waste in the landfills. There's a way that as soon as I heard that piece, I was changed. It was like, this is what I'm going to be working on. This is it. And I'm going to go, to, I'm going to go to school and get, go back to my, get my master's and, and I'm going to go work in government. <laughs> and so that's just what I did. It was just like, there's got to be a way to figure out how we can push this type of recycling more because before you're worried about cans and bottles and aluminum and trying to like melt those down to refabricate them, to reshape them and reform them and get them back out in, into the market, food waste and organic waste has got to be the easiest um, things we should be working on to, to recycle. And now I'll say things like, well, because people are hungry, but back then for me, it was just like, just put it back in the ground. Like, you know, just, there's gotta be a way to create more, you know, more compost and just more uh, soil amendments. But it really is, it's just that the, those two pieces, it's like, why, why is food going into the landfill? If people are hungry, feed someone um, and, if if that if the food's truly um, unrecoverable, just put it back in the ground where that where it came from. Because I mean, you're why would you waste all the you know the water and the energy and the nutrients that have come out of food? So that's 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 actually what happened to me. I was I was changed immediately, and I knew I was going to be working on on food waste and and organic waste. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, can you talk a little bit about what projects you're working on specifically right now? We mapped our, our food waste with. Um, with NRGC, um, what has happened since then is that they came out with um, a Southeast regional initiative, or there's a few initiatives, there's a Mid-Atlantic, there's a Southeast, and there's now a Great Lakes initiative too. And um, we've we were just accepted in July um, to be part of the Southeast cohort. And um, what it means is we are working with five other cities to um, continue the work of getting food out of landfills, um, recoverable food out of landfills to feed people. And um, we actually had to apply. So even though we'd been working with the NRDC a couple of years before to map the food waste, just kind of like a touch and go kind of scenario, this was us applying to then get direct um, direct assistance from them all month long, you know. And so um, it wasn't just a shoe in that we were going to uh, get the slot, it was now going to have to be the city was going to have to declare that we were working on food waste. And that's why that's the piece that's so that's also fulfilling It's because the two years before that it was just me kind of pushing this rock up a hill and saying how important food waste is and why we need to keep our landfill and why we need to feed people. But to even get get this technical assistance over the next 18 months, the city had to have our mayor make a proclamation that we'd be working on food waste. So now it's just opened more doors uh, for collaboration. And so that answers your question. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. 
I'd like to talk a little bit about your team. If you could um, tell me how big your team is right now and how do you all measure impact? So the, the team, we're really just a team of two and I'm really the only one that's focusing on food waste, um, the food waste side of things. Um, the, my other team member does help um, where, where there's needed, but she focuses on the built environment and deconstruction and other recycling initiatives the city has created. So I like to say I'm a little tiny mighty team of one. I just created that right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, to be very, only I guess transparent and honest a lot of most of this work is done by me and then like how I create partnerships with external organizations and um but yeah I, I feel like this is a rock I'm pushing but it's finally getting momentum and there are finally more people that are getting involved so I I, I can say we because there are a lot of external partners but this is really the initiative that I focus on in our office The Impact Report is brought to you by the MBA in Sustainability Program at Bard College. Recently named the number one green MBA and ranked as a top business school for nonprofit leaders by the Princeton Review, the Bard MBA in Sustainability offers a globally leading business curriculum that integrates sustainability vision, real world consulting engagements, organizational transformation, and entrepreneurial training, equipping graduates to lead a just transition to a sustainable future. The hybrid program meets one weekend per month in New York City and online two evenings per week, allowing students to complete the program from around the U.S. without halting their careers. Bard MBA is accepting applications from aspiring changemakers for fall 2021 enrollment. Learn more at gps.bard.edu. In your opinion, how successful has Atlanta been in recycling and diverting food waste? And if you have some examples to share um, to highlight some of those successes. Sure, this is this is a great question. And I, for the city of Atlanta, we are just barely at the place where we're starting to get more numbers about this mm -hmm. um, because we've only just started kind of diving into this work maybe in the last couple of years. I've been with the city for four and really only been focusing like really like laser focusing on food waste for maybe two years. Um, and so we haven't been so much uh, driven by metrics or research or analysis so much as it's more just kind of jumping in and doing the work. And so I think with this, or I know with this uh, next 18 month um, being part of this uh, initiative with NRDC, we are going to have to start measuring some of this stuff because it's just a requirement. And they've, they've helped us map out a, a work plan and a roadmap and they've, they've got all kinds of metrics there or, or kind of mandating as part of the, the technical assistance and even down to equity sub equity metrics like who's getting the messaging or who who is who 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 are you impacting or what businesses like even demographics of business owners and things like that so i think in the next 18 months i'll have more robust numbers um, but as of right now it's just been kind of like jump in and get the work done so like one of my first projects was in 2019 like uh, right after getting the results i created a restaurant challenge um, where I was trying to get hundreds of restaurants together. I was working with the Restaurant Association, but I really just got six restaurants out of the Atlanta airport. It was still a great um, initiative though. We were able to save 21,000 meals over three months with six restaurants. And we got those over to nonprofits that were then again feeding hungry residents. And I, I just always like to stress the fact that this is feeding 
people in their homes. This isn't just a homeless initiative. This is actually feeding hungry people. So those those are some metrics I do have there. But like I as I said, I, over the next eighteen months, we'll have quite a bit more. And you spoke to this a little bit in terms um, of defining and measuring metrics. That's an area you're expanding, but are there other areas where you feel like there's room for improvement? I think there's room for improvement. Like I think, I, I guess this helps, this this leans to, I think there there was a question that was gonna be about what I'm, what I'm seeing around um, maybe where other, where other people or other cities are doing some of this work. And I think there's room for improvement and that uh, there we should kind of start to create some resolutions or policies around this work um, because I think it drives innovation and drives change um, uh, to accelerate keeping food on landfill because it's not just a, a people problem where people are hungry. It's also an environmental problem where um, food um, is, if it's, if it's landfill, it's creating methane exacerbating climate change, or it's just um, worse. We, we spend so much of our resources to grow food, to just throw it away. I mean, that's 20, I think it's 21% of our water every year goes into growing food that we don't, we don't eat. 10% of our energy um, output goes into growing food that we don't eat. So I think, I just think I'm, uh, my, they like to say that I'm the, um, it's, so there's the carrot or the stick and I'm the stick. And so I was like, I should just be legislated, just throw laws everywhere, you know? And so I, I think some of the things I've seen, like I know uh, California has, um, uh, they first had an initiative that just mandated organics out of the landfill, but now the, 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 there's some new legislation that's mandating that uh, like 20% of that also be recoverable. So I think it's just um, kind of starting to do stuff like that if that helps. And I also, because I work in the space of grocery stores and restaurants a lot, I like what I see over in France. France has made, um, they, have a, they have a law that mandates that you just register with, a, with a, a nonprofit or a recovery agency. So it makes you think before you put the food out there. So they're not penalizing you if you don't call the nonprofit, but they're penalizing you if you're not registered. And once you take that step to register with that nonprofit food recovery agency, you'll like you'll just think you'll think about it before you throw that food away. It, may, it now changes your mind. It changes, it shifts how you're thinking about waste as a grocery store or a restaurant that has re recoverable food. That's so interesting. Yeah, just the idea that it can just start by planting that little bit of awareness yes. and make a difference from the get-go. I agree. Could you tell us a bit about your um, the Sustainability Ambassador Leadership Program that you created? Sure. Um, so when we were creating our resilience strategy back in 2017 to join that network, we um, had to zero in on different stressors um, that were not making for a good life for the city's inhabitants, if you wanna say it like that. And um, one of those stressors or social ills was the notable wealth inequality gap that's present in Atlanta and um, looking at why certain communities aren't thriving and, and why, how we, can, how we can bridge that gap. And so um, we were all pulled into different silos. So figure I work on recycling now, I'm pulled into work on like just, just a whole different topic. And so everyone in the office was pulled into just little different varia uh, various, uh, I guess, um, ideals that we needed to start working on as, to put into our resilience strategy, our resilience plan. And I was placed in the group that was examining how to close this wealth gap. 
and increasing social mobility by investing in K through 12 uh, new programming and education. And so this, uh, this program was born and at, and at the time I was thinking um, with the job market expecting sustainability jobs to rise 40% and CEOs everywhere kind of being noted as saying that they wanted to begin to write uh, more sustainability into their business models. I thought creating a program that highlighted what we do in our office and connecting uh, you know, participants and students to people that come in and talk to, to them about jobs in energy or jobs in water conservation or recycling and urban ag was the way to go. So this program was created with the um, I ideas of, um, of really just being for this, this demographic. And um, I was able to have one program that was with kids. They were high school students and on their way to college, but it, it actually just created a, a large, um, it was just a little too hard to be honest because um, we, we're just workers and like, it was, it was this program where we were like kind of shuttling kids around and getting trip slips and, and, and whatnot. And so it's really just, it's now, it's still a running program. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of one right now, but it's been taken over by just regular citizens. And so um, we're in our seventh session. And uh, like I said, I just had one Wednesday night that we're, it's an eight week, it's an eight week course that highlights what we do in our office. Um, as I mentioned, um, all of our different initiatives. And um, so they're about 200 almost. So as this, as this particular cohort graduates at the end of March, um, there will be over 200 sustainability ambassadors around Atlanta. And uh, we just launched a subcommittee um, track or sub subcommittees um, just last October. And so that means if you're, if you're interested in energy, go work with the energy subcommittee. If you're interested in urban ag, there's now an urban ag subcommittee. And, and so on. And it's really just because every time I see people on the street, they're like, how can I stay involved? How can, how can I do more for the ambassador program? And it's like, okay, so I've created these subcommittees now. If, if you are very interested in water conservation, now go work with this team and see what you guys can create together. And so um, that's where we're at now. That is so cool. I love that. I mean, as a MBA student studying sustainability, I think if you're able to get people involved earlier on, and especially for young people, show them what kinds of opportunities exist. That's just so exciting. And hopefully many of them will continue on doing that great work. They're, they're um, an amazing group of people. If I can just say, I'm, they're all just as energized. And it's just, it's amazing. Every, every session is new and every one of them, every person, it's just, it's always energized. This, this, these are people who want to change the world. And I'm just, I'm glad that the, program can continue to let them stay connected now <laughs> past the eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so just shifting gears a little bit to a less positive note, but um, I want to talk a little about the coronavirus pandemic and its impact. Um, it's obviously greatly impacted everyone, but also the budgets and the operations for cities across the country. Um, in New York City, where I am, public funding for composting programs was cut during the start of the pandemic, and we're seeing a lot of that continue into 2021. For example, we had our curbside organics collection program suspended this year. How has the pandemic affected the work that you're doing and the programs in Atlanta? Sure. So after that um, restaurant challenge I had in 2019, I was gearing up to begin a program with Kroger uh, because they have a zero hunger, zero waste um, uh, 
program where they're able to, I think they, they're able to save most of their, their food. They're, they're, they're not, um, but they're not saving their composting. So I think Kroger, I, I need to get their numbers better, but I, I know that they are, they are pretty, pretty close to zero waste when it comes to not putting food in the landfill, like as a, as an organization. And so, um, this was my real first attempt to start working on the low, um, low income, low access map that, it, that governs the food access work in our, in our office. And so that's just a map that shows all the areas in Atlanta where there's low access to, to food. And so I did an overlay of that map onto our city parks and, and like um, where like we have different programs that are run through the mayor's office. So the mayor's office of constituent services and the mayor's office of human services has different programs that they run in our in our uh, municipal buildings. So like and so like let's say that we have senior centers that come to programming there, and then we, we're feeding them there. We also have after school programs that kids come to, and they so they get a meal there after school. There are warming centers that the city also has, like when it gets really cold, like so during the winter when we get to these freezing temperatures, we are housing uh, the homeless population at those times. And so I thought, how can we funnel some of some food into these populations that are already being serviced by different mayor's offices? And then that's a win that saves the city money on funding, right? If this is food that we're just donating. And so those programs like those were all geared up to go um, in 2020 and coronavirus just went ahead and cut that down because now our municipal buildings are temporarily closed because of the virus. I mean, we're all working from home. No one's going into municipal buildings right now. And so that's that's a program that was slated to go um, for 2020 that, like I said, has now been halted for now. And so um, moving forward, I've uh, started to work with the EPA Region 4 that has a, a farm to neighborhood um, surplus food project that they're working on that's we're actually just getting ramping ramped up right now and that that is working on the food that's being plowed under because of COVID-19 because of just the way that COVID has wrecked a lot of the supply chain issues um that from from getting farm to fork and just just an example um um, like, so maybe 40% of onions produced in the US are destined for restaurants, but because those restaurants are now closed, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of onions that are now not being placed. So it's just little issues like that. And so um, what, this what this project aims to do is to work with gleaners who are now going to share the income, like a shared income model. So now, so instead of farmers just plowing the food under, we're now creating a model that they'll still be able to um, sell that food and get it to market. And what we're going to be doing is um, getting all that food with the gleaners into back into these low income, low access neighborhoods that don't have a, a market in, in half a mile and getting some of that food into like, you know, the dollar stores and the, the, the liquor stores and the corner stores that, that are food deserts that, that that's all they have. They don't have markets, but they've got a, they're inundated with these, like just these dollar, dollar generals and packed stores. And, you know, and so we're going to be working to get all of that food into these areas to sold at deep discounts and also a, a donation model. So there'll, there'll be donated food as well. And so for me, that's also looking, cause a lot of, a lot of what is happening in the supply chain or why food is wasted as well is because it's ugly, right? Or it's not beautiful or it's not, they've, they've, they've deemed something is wrong with it. And so that's now starting to work with what that's called seconds. Like, so the firsts are what will be sold at deep discounts, but then the seconds 
are the food that are just ugly or misshapen, we're now going to donate that stuff. So that's that's now starting to work on that that part of the supply chain problem that isn't worked on a lot. Where you know, so that's that's exciting too. That's 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 me feeling like I'm working on the things. <laughs> that's great, and especially because that's you know the second thing that'll be an issue post COVID as well. It's, yeah, that can translate. That's really wonderful. Um. I guess this is my sort of final question. I am wondering if you could share advice that you have for people who might be looking to follow your career path. Sure. Um, I think I think if you're interested in this work, I think um, taking a few courses is is good. But I also think how you will get your foot into the door to these types of jobs is to actually make sure you are doing the work on the side. So create your own internships if you have to, find organizations that are doing whatever piece of sustainability or whatever it is you're interested in and and throw yourself into the work so that um, it doesn't have to be book heavy and it doesn't have to come out of your pocket so much. And it just doesn't have to be book heavy. It's Cause I, I really think I, I get a lot of my opportunities because I'm able to say, oh, this is what I was doing on the weekends. And this is what I was doing after work. And this is, I've joined, I joined a lot of organizations while I was getting my master's and after even, even while I was working before I worked at the city, but I was still in the, like still on this path. There was always something I was involved in that is still on my resume to this day of plenty of stuff like that, that just shows that I'm actually passionate about the work. And this is actually where I want to be. So even because you can, you can be in a job or a role for years and someone can see that, okay, well, that's what she did. But like, if you can show that like, but for years also, I was with all these external organizations. I just think it helps, it helps you be more marketable. So that's always my advice is to, to don't only do the book work, but to make sure you're getting out there and, and getting sweaty and getting dirty and, you know, elbow grease. I love that. And it's a great way to make connections too. Exactly. And yes. um, exactly. so technically wasn't my last question. I want to end with asking you where listeners can go to learn more. Sure. So you can go to um, our office has um, our own um, social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, and it's just um, ATL Resilience. Wonderful. Well, this has just been such a great conversation, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us um, and join the impact report today. So thank you so much, Natasha. You're welcome. Thank you. We appreciate our loyal Impact Report listeners and hope you can help us spread the word about the series and the important sustainability work of our guests. Please rate and review the Impact Report wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you were inspired by this conversation, share a screenshot to your Instagram account and tag Impact Report Podcast. To learn more about the City of Atlanta Mayor's Office of Resilience and the topics discussed in today's episode, visit atlantaga.gov. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, March 12th. We'll be speaking with Jessica Thurston, Director of ESG Strategy at Viacom CBS. Interested in learning how you can launch a high-impact, purpose-driven career in sustainability? Check out the resources page from the Bard Graduate Programs in Sustainability for access to free resources to jumpstart your career in sustainability. Hear from leaders in the fields of climate change, consulting, impact finance, 
fashion, circular economy, and more about how they launched their careers and the tips they have for you to join their industry. Visit gps.bard.edu slash resources today.